every Indian, no matter where he may be living at the present time, has a duty towards his country and he must contribute his due share towards the final victory. The task of liberating India is ours and ours alone. 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 In prison you always get, even if you get dream, your dreams are always inside some walls. It's very hard for the dreams to go away from these walls. These walls are, once you enter the prison as a prisoner, somehow these walls, they create barriers along your brain and they block your all dream waves. That was the voice of Ranjit Singh Gill while he was serving his sentence in Tihar Jail, New Delhi. He spent 18 years in Tihar as a political prisoner. Prison systems have been around for a very long time. Over time, however, they have changed somewhat in their purpose and form. I'm going to give you a brief overview of the history of the concept of prisons and how the current Indian prison system came to be. I'm also going to talk about two states in India that are making significant strides in the prison reform movement. After that, we're going to hear Shivani and Danish really deep dive into what the idea of punishment has meant to human society across history. They will also discuss the recent report by the National Crime Records Bureau, which details the challenges which the Indian prison system is currently facing. The earliest records of prison systems are dated to 1st millennia BCE. That's around 3,000 years ago. And they were part of civilizations of Mesopotamia and Egypt. There is mention of offences and corresponding penalties in the ancient Indian text Arthashastra as well. Prisons before the 19th century were largely used to house criminals awaiting trial or their prescribed punishment, which was flailing, hanging, deportation to islands, etc. The evolution of prison systems into what we know of them today started in 19th century England. The concept of rehabilitation of the prisoner back into the society after he, she or they had served their sentence really came about. Capital punishment and punishment by torture were a fading trend at this point and mass incarceration was born. In 1836, the British set a committee in India to reform the Indian prison system. In the two decades following 1846, central jails were constructed in many cities, including Agra, Lucknow, Bombay, Madras, etc. The real turning point in prison administration in India came after the failure of the revolt of 1857. A large number of political prisoners and convicts were shipped off to the harbour of Port Blair in Andaman Islands. We'll get back to this in detail in a bit. Another committee was formed by the Government of India in 1864 to work on the question of jail management. It made many recommendations, including tickets of leave for prisoners, care of juveniles and establishment of reformatories. Some of these recommendations were taken while drafting the Prison Act of 1870. The Act was amended in 1894 and together, the Prison Act of 1870 and 1894 formed the legal basis of the existing prison system of India. This means that the system set up during the colonial period that mandates different treatment for different categories of prisoners still exists. Today, in the 1,412 prisons in India, more than two-thirds of the prison population is awaiting trial. Here, time doesn't come. Then outside, every minute you, don't, you lose is lost. Years behind bars, wasted time, thrown away time for nothing and nothing again. And 
there's no explanation why. Usually, the term jail is used to refer to a short-term confinement awaiting trial, whereas prison means long-term confinement post-conviction. In India, the word jail and prison are used interchangeably. Our prison system cannot accommodate for over 30 million pending cases of the Indian justice system. This lag is causing the pre-trial detainee counts to rapidly rise. And convicts and pre-trial detainees both end up in jail slash prison. A majority of the prison population is illiterate and can't afford bail or legal representation. Human rights activists periodically bring up the issue of mistreatment of prisoners on the basis of their caste and economic status. Basic lack of sanitation facilities and sometimes edible food, let alone basic education and vocational training, is a common concern. It is also extremely crowded in there. The prison capacity stands at 113.7%. Its official capacity is 380,876. But we have around 52,127 more people than the official capacity, saying, Thoda adjust kar lo na yaar in our jails. One may think that people who end up in jails probably deserve these harsh conditions and that tax paid by law-abiding citizens shouldn't be invested to make these jails cushiony and comfortable. However, remember more than two-thirds of the people in jails are just stuck there, waiting for a court judge to see them to pronounce a verdict on their guilt. Since prison administration is a state subject, the prisoners in poorer states of India are in very bad condition. High state poverty also means high recidivism because a prison sentence guarantees a roof over the head and regular food. However, some states like Rajasthan and Mizoram are making progress with prison reform. Rajasthan has 29 open jails. These prisons are created with the objective of rehabilitating convicted prisoners who have displayed good conduct while serving their sentence in regular jails. The success of the system is cited with the case of 400 inmates of the largest open prison, Sanganer Open Camp, who live in the environment of self-discipline without violating the set rules. This system has also helped a little with the overcrowding problem. In 2015, Mizoram received a 702% budget increase for its prisons from the previous years. This influx of funds helped the prison administrators make many reforms, from basic sanitation facilities to vocational training and employment for prisoners. To reduce and prevent HIV and other health risks, Mizoram partnered up with UN Office of Drugs and Crime and a local NGO called Shalom to provide training of prison staff, starting with executive and supervisory staff of the central jail and five district jails and expanding to prison inmates. They provide individual as well as family counselling. They try to ensure that prisoners, once released, are part of the community again and receive the same care, treatment and support. There you have it, a brief overview of the concept of prisons and how they came about, uh, you know what the Indian prison system looks like today. And I've also told you about the interesting prisons in Rajasthan and Mizoram. Now it's over to you, Shapani and Danish. That's, that's what I think we want to achieve in this podcast as well, like try and give you a little bit of everything. So uh, from the idea of giving you a little bit of everything to taking all of it away from you, uh, we come to the, t- the topic of our podcast this week, uh, which is prisons, prison systems in India. Um, the ideas behind uh, what a prison or what punishment is, and where we are within the world and where we want to be in that sphere. Did you know that there's this uh, prison in uh, Tamil Nadu somewhere where you can pay a fee for the night and live in the prison and then come out the next morning like a hotel? When I when, like when we do- think about prisons 
today like we, we have lot of references of movies we've seen for example i've seen bhagat singh i've seen shawshank redemption shawshank redemption captures the entire thing that was on a very deep important way these are you see yeah these are you see so the thing within indian and global history is that the kinds of jail that we've had across time have been very different because the ideas behind those institutions have been different right so if you take a very brief scan throughout history and see what ideas promoted what kind of systems but if you go back to smaller towns right think about europe 14th century 15th century the state is not very centralized the idea of a prison system is very closely connected with the state the prison is a reflection of the state's monopoly over violence they feel that only they have the judicial right to impose a particular law and then the punishment for that is the jail if you go back to a space where you didn't have a very prominent presence of the state what takes up the vacuum is religion right a lot of punishments or sins or wrongs or morality in that space was defined by religious morality rather than secular morality if you mess up you're messing up to god and therefore god will see and god will punish that is your incentive not to mess up in your day to day life so punishments also used to be uh, religiously oriented if you have committed a crime then you either pay a penance or you pay a fine to the, to a clerical organization or whoever you have wronged in that sense this is very one on one life i harm you we settle the matter in uh, in my financial terms yeah so uh, in that regard most of early medieval or even before that is very one on one kind of punishments uh, punishment uh, redressal or law or uh, imposition right when we move on from that to the late medieval ages you have a time where there are larger kingdoms being formed and when larger kingdoms are being formed you have more systematization of institution of justice where one uh, ruler has to meet out a punishment as well so now the king assumes the position of a king or a superior by taking on the responsibility to number 1 write the law number 2 impose the law so for example ned stark in game of thrones one of the first scenes we see him is coming and killing that man with a sword and he doesn't like me he doesn't like killing he makes it very obvious he says but it's the it's the duty of the king to carry out this very very hurtful like excess but to impose law in that manner so now you have these kings getting a lot of money uh, accumulating money by taxes and revenues now the thing the idea behind even for example hangings or by killing by sword is that just like a society these things were very were proportional to your class society was highly kind of hierarchized into sort of groups in india you had the caste system within uh, in england you had superiority being in a particular class for example are you are you knight or you peasant or lower than that these killings would correspond to your social status so for example you would be hung if you are lower in the rank or you would be killed by sword and that was a kind of a hierarchy another thing we are thinking about this is to also orchestrate a hanging you need to have resources one individual will never have the resources to number one build a platform have a noose hire an executioner you know declare the death and who had do the hanging needs institutional investment that investment comes from kings who had number one the moral responsibility number two the financial capability to carry this out so that was something that we see in the later medieval ages as the time progressed you had an idea of like the enlightenment coming into um, europe and this kind of ushering in the renaissance as well the rebirth or going back to kind of grecian morality right the the idea then becomes these assumptions of number one equality across the board so sort of a humanization number one of art and the idea is even there that you man starts to seeing himself as a reflection of god that god has created me in his reflection therefore i am not lesser than god i am not a sinful being in my existence there was sort of a standard of equality building up in that sense right so now comes the idea of reforming somebody who has sinned so you put them through a system of jail or imprisonment to morally change them not to kill them off but to morally change them somewhere inside 
a good visual of this is yeah les misérables which is french musical written in 1872 which is a very kind of a vivid description of how different people from different classes when they undergo the kind of a number one social rejection that comes with being in a prison isolation uh, and the kind of change they go through some kind of have a divine change some reject the entire system because they feel so abandoned by that right and introducing actually the marxist thought into our conversation today is that the industrial revolution begins to enter in the 1800s right uh, england beginning to increasingly mechanize its production diminishing of the handicraft sector within england so the marxists here believe that modern prisons are very intrinsically connected to the idea of alienation in itself right that as more people flocked to towns because number one their domestic ways of earning money were were destroyed they came to town they also became surplus labor so now <clears throat> they are important enough not to be killed they want the labor but at a particular time they only have a capacity for a particular amount of labor so the jail starts becoming a place to get rid of people you don't like people who don't end up getting jobs what do they become they take to theft and criminality to survive the other also is that they become nomads or they become people who peddle anybody who seems like a vagrant is pushed into prison interestingly enough this came into indian systems as well when the indian vagrancy law came in any man who did not have one permanent residence or who did not have his family traveling with him was classified as a vagrant uh, this also led eventually this thought led to a certain tribes within india being categorized as criminal tribes because the english had a problem with anybody who they couldn't pinpoint to a particular land and anybody who was um, nomadic was therefore suspicious so even the roma in the in the in a larger global sense always viewed this suspicion because they didn't have one place to stay this is the kind of the kind of conundrum people found themselves in as they entered the industrial revolution right and this is also where the idea comes about things like transportation for life right and this is again a very interesting idea because of my my uh, research on port blair island prison in andaman and islands in india so in england there was a lot of public hue and cry about the conditions of the criminals in their prisons right so the british eventually thought uh, a better way is to just get them out of the country don't put them in the prisons just make them go somewhere and somewhere else and interestingly have a lot of nations that we know today born from this idea of transportation the us of a the united states of america was built because of transportation australia was built because of transportation uh, similarly lands were colonized because they kept sending convict labor to go and live in those areas within that comes the idea of port blair they were looking for a penal settlement because sending convicts to australia was banned in 1850s so now they wanted to find an alternative now port blair came in the way from if you go from india to australia it comes bang in the middle so they thought might as well land is there resources must be there we don't like the temperature here but we'll send somebody else who can deal with this temperature so moving on from our idea of transportation the when the world wars also come in by this time nations have developed as the nations you know them today nationalism has pervaded the pervaded the globe you have governments you have financial institutions you have legal institutions you have jails which are funded by the government funded by uh, our tax money uh, now the prisoners become sort of the property of of the government till date and that pulls us into present day as well till date california employs its convict labor to be the first line fighters for any forest fires so the first line of defense against forest fires is not trained firemen it is just convicts who have been given an option do either this and get like 30% of your prison time off or stay in prison obviously i'm going to choose the former right and they're given these like simple rakes and they're asked to create sort of a man boundary line for entire forest fire so and nobody's questioning that because at the end of the day uh, within the public there is a sense that a convict deserves this that he deserves a life which is uncomfortable which is 
uh, away from everybody else and somebody who has uh, even spent their life in um, jail and prisons when they come out of that jail also it's not like they welcome back into the social contract of society or even their homes there's a, such a sub- substantial taboo attached with have been having been in prisons so danish um, let, let's talk about people who number one have been convicted and have spent their time there how i mean what numbers are we looking at across india in that sense my segment is basically focusing on what has india and what has the three parts of indian government have done about the judiciary the executive and the legislature the, the executive which is basically the ministry of home affairs which deals with the numbers it looks after the numbers how many criminals do we have in jails how many offenders are there how many people who are under trials are languishing in jails so this is very interesting data we are talking about this report called uh, prisons in india a statistics of 2016 finally is released in 2019 3 years later and it's released by the ncrb which is the national crimes record bureau uh, so this data tells me very interesting very shocking numbers out of out of around 4 lakh prisoners you have 68% of prisoners who are under trials under trials are people who are accused of an offense but have been convicted by the court as such which tells us that you know our, our criminal justice system is deeply flawed because we are putting in people into jails without understanding if they are really if they have committed a crime or do they really deserve to be the languishing in jails even though you have a provision in the crpc which talks about that if a under trial prisoner you know uh, spends half his jail term so for example shubho if you have been convicted of you know offense which is 3 years and you spend 2 years in jail you are still you are liable you have a right you have a legal right to be set free but interestingly research shows around 50% more than 50% jailers don't know about this provision there is such a deep disconnect between laws enforced in the statute what the government says what the numbers says the second interesting point is that out of the people who have been convicted 70% of the prisoners have not done their class 10 so this is a direct correlation as to how lack of literacy is has a direct correlation then you have another interesting point telling that preventive detention which is used in india jammu kashmir has highest number of people putting jail because uh, preventive detention in 2015 i think the number was around 93 and now the number is around uh, 432 which is a 300% increase within one year and you don't even have data from 2017 2019 india is one of the, the is the only country in the world which has prevented detention as a basis in its constitution so some really shocking data now the idea of preventive detention which i particularly find very interesting yeah so we i think the only time i learned about this was in class 12th paul science book we had a small section on preventive detention the idea of preventive det- detention itself is it's pre facto so it's based on number one bias or suspicion or a kind of a vague premonition of somebody's behavior or uh, what people might categorize as having good enough reason to believe so but that itself is such an abused element of our constitution we have a friend of ours called arundhati bhan uh, sitting with us here today I just wanted to ask you this idea of state somehow. I mean, the way I understand it, state behaves like an absolute bully in this sense, right? So, like, do you believe that better safe than sorry in that sense, or do you think that there's something principally wrong with this existing in our constitution? Personally, I feel uh, something like this, where the state is putting out laws in order to prevent certain crime, is actually a decision on a certain hunch. It does violate existence. It's a very pop culture reference. I was in school when this movie came out. That film, like, it's my reference to jails and putting putting a man behind bars just on the basis of suspicion. So, for those who haven't seen New York, the movie is set in post 9/11 New York. The romance is between Katrina Kaif and John Abraham, and John Abraham is a Muslim, and he is caught and he is taken to Al. Katra's jail and tortured, and when he comes back, he joins an extremist group, and then the story pulls on from there. So back to you, Han. So yeah, that was basically the idea. How on uh, he's a student of student of photography, 
so he's taken pictures of various buildings around the city so based on that perception they put him behind bars and put him under extreme torture and released after a year or so, so it actually really screws up with the person's psyche as a person uh, you yourself you lose belief in the legal system that exists you know uh, the law and the constitution was made for the person and when it goes against it sort of start losing that kind of trust you have in your own legal system the story doesn't end every state in india has its own preventive detention law and every state functions in a very opaque manner you have cbi conducting raids the supreme court was also not really helpful this is a 300% increase in jammu and kashmir itself because you want to curtail human rights as rudhi has pointed out last year itself uh, four uh, journalists were uh, you know put in jail because of the bima corrigan dispute they were put in jail bail was refused and the norm is that you have to get bail just to give you sort of a background on that on the 6th of june uh, 2018 uh, rona wilson sudhir dhawal surendra gadling mahesh raut and shoma sen were uh, imprisoned they were charged under unlawful activities prevention amendment act and they were called urban naxalites by all media across our, our country a lot of these guys especially rona wilson he's been working a lot for political prisoners uh, within our jails who have very often been been targets of state sponsored cornering and been imprisoned on under these circumstances rona for example was finishing his phd when he was caught interestingly enough in anuman nikobar island as well only kind of built specifically for political prisoners so i found the document in the archives a couple of months ago about the the british refusing to take prisoners who are not political prisoners because the idea was to make port blair just a political resident to drill the fear into you that you know kalapani is such a devastating end that i will not partake in those political activities and the thing of political prisoners is morality gets very gray in that area there's a state morality which once a prisoner has crossed and that might not correspond with societal morality in that sense so for example veer savarkar has been in prison a lot of our 57 revolt participants have been imprisoned arbindo khosh's younger brother was imprisoned in the, in the in port blair as well another interesting point here in the data is that they have stopped releasing data on what kind of social background people come from that you don't know if the prisoner is a is from sc or st or is a muslim or is a hindu you don't have any religious data you don't have a social data you don't know what our prisons are representing what you know what kind of population exists in our jail there's a very good documentary on this uh, which is called the 13th it's available on netflix it's on the idea that american jails over represent the black pop- part of the population for example if a black population forms 30% of the of american population they are represented almost to double 70% within american jails port blair was specifically known for having been a bed of number one unnatural deaths committed by torturing uh, by jailers and also like mental problems so that in, in terms of mental issues and mental development of prisoners there are where do we stand in in india because that seems problem enough outside prisons i, I can't imagine how it be like inside that's a very important point shivani because the data from the same report shows that there's one mental health professional for f22650 prisoners correspondingly the the rate of suicides has doubled from 2015 to 2016 the number of people so there were 115 suicides committed and they were around 231 the next day so you can see that there's a clear correlation that if you're not giving importance to the mental health of prisoners if you're not rehabilitating them then of course correspondingly this is going to show on data recent the supreme court has come up with a case it was approached by justice uh, rc lohoti who was a uh, was a former justice and the supreme court has set up a committee and the committee has been specifically tasked to look into the issues of psychological harm that the prison walls does and secondly important point is that supreme court has strictly said no to solitary confinement solitary confinement in only in cases where you have clear evidence you can show that the person is going to harm other people so there is a very fine line as to how you decide these cases also 
because the system itself of prison is so opaque you don't have normal uh, normal journalists or normal people cannot approach the authorities directly there is a clear defiance only and only if if we can make the the functioning of the jails much clearer then the situation will improve now what the executive has done on this case is what has happened is that now the supreme court has been time and again you know since 60s since 80s yeah since 80s the uh, the supreme court has taken upon itself to be parents of the prisoners so prisoners from all over the country used to write letters to the chief justice of india that you know this is happening this is happening so the supreme court used to take those letters convert them into writ petitions and hear them out the supreme court in so many cases has said that you know you can't do this you can't do that and has ha- actually written down what specific conditions for example you cannot put fetters on prisoners just like that you cannot put cannot handcuff prisoners all, all the time so supreme court has said specifically directed to the executive that have a modern prison manual interestingly the manual tells me that you know the executive itself mandates so prisoners are they are they working jails right they are given specific task the the manual gives the right to the jailer to not give any money for that work that they have done so the this is a 2016 manual you have you have law you have the executive you have the judiciary there is such disconnect as to what uh, prisoner rights are the executive has different demands states are not under the control of the mm-hmm. government because let's face it jails and jailers all see the, the indian constitution is made in such a way that major responsibility of social welfare is with the states mm-hmm. funds are with the government so if you want to do anything you don't have the funds there is a clear and plus if you have apathy with the prisoners then prisoners are going to the number has doubled it might quadruple in the next data there is a clear disconnect even though you have so many committees you have mulla committee and then you have krishnaiya committee all these committees have time and again said that you know you need to wake up prisoners are not to be treated like they are like the third citizens yeah. or they are citizens which are not to be given rights they have equal rights just because they are they are away from the society it doesn't give them base to treat them any differently even theoretically speaking if as like let's think of ourselves in the smallest social unit we can imagine our families when we messed up as children our parents it's the same principle you mess up you are going against a particular societal norm and your parents stop you from trespassing that norm uh, by punishing you that punishment can be different uh, degrees of severity but the punishment isn't supposed to tell you that you're a bad person you you're inherently damaged you can never become better it's supposed to make you improve or scare you enough to not do it again or make you improve there's a couple of ideas behind punishment as well these uh, sort of theories of punishment number, number one is retribution which is purely revenge based if you have hit me and then i want you to feel so bad then that you have to you know for example undergo severe punishment and for for the victim's family it is more cathartic to see the person it's sort of a negative sort of getting over something the second is rehabilitative which uh, works in tandem with with the idea with the third idea which is deterrence which is scaring somebody before they commit the act now for example say balika bakra if you do this you will become balika bakra balika bakra itself has to be something that we, i don't want to be a part of it has to be a socially isolatory act that will make me uncool unpopular uh, that will make me lose friends therefore it, i understand it as a no no and then i will not do it so prison for us has to become has to be portrayed as a no no it has to be damaging for our careers and our personal lives and our social relations then only it will scare us enough to not do something the idea of rehabilitation is something that i want to talk to you about nanesh is because it is idea that is present in our legal system somewhere but isn't practiced as much because a lot of our ideas now become about mob mentality of punishing somebody for example let's take a very controversial topic which is nirbhaya right uh, there was a large hue and cry about um, giving the death sentence to all the perpetrators of the nirbhaya rape case but there were some voices even back then and more so now they talk about number one talk about some of the juveniles some of them not know 
now what's ever happened many of them got life imprisonment some of them have not also now completed those sentences and moved on but there was a large voice in the crowd in and some a part of me also believed at that time that these guys should get the death penalty for how horrendous their crime was so the idea of rehabilitation kind of emerge takes us off that to a higher pedestal in a sense uh, where you uh, believe in a system where you talk or you converse between the victim and the offender and talk about what hurt you by by that act what uh, have you suffered what do you feel cheated off and then the victim's family decides how much the offender should undergo on a small scale happened in the case in the us where this person called mcbride had killed his girlfriend um in a in a act of great anger and rather than putting him to uh, the death penalty or whatever the girlfriend's parents presence of a, a judge had a conversation with the boy told him okay you killed our daughter we have lost this we have loved you we have lost son uh, and we want you to go for 11 years of imprisonment or whatever they negotiated that factor actually and therefore both parties who have been directly impacted have come to a conclusion on a larger scale south africa did this there's a very nice uh, documentary on youtube called uh, a nation rising south africa itself when it was emerging out of apartheid to create its own country had the conversation with its former like its white uh, citizenship and the black citizenship had a, co- had a conversation legal conversation a lot of the political murders are committed the murderers were faced with the with the victim's family and they had conversations about you know how they have been wronged and they, that's how the entire society moved on in that sense so in india where do we stand with that see the the first example that comes to my mind with regard to imbibing this kind of principle is the ndps act the narcotic and the psychotropic substances act that act actually mandates that you know if you have committed a certain kind of uh, crime within the act you have to you have to undergo you know rehabilitation you have to have rehab centers Interestingly, Shivani, there's a report by the Vidhi Center of Legal Policy. Rehab centers, either they are, there's a rehab center for like ten thousand people, or there are no rehab centers. If the state doesn't give the option to the prisoner or to the offender to have a chance to, you know, improve upon himself, how is the how is the society going to function as a whole? So I think there are clear glaring issues with regard to what the act says, what the government wants to enforce, and what the judiciary does with it. There is. some intention the act but the intention is not carried does law reflect the society or, or should law be a standard for society to try and achieve a very nice documentary that will get you thinking on this idea is small episode called rubaru roshni it's on uh, hotstar or amazon i'm not very sure over there they talk a lot about this rehabilitative conversation or reformatory outlet for our for our legal system so um, with that out of the way we hope you like this podcast we it's we're still trying and very new with this so if you have any feedback please feel free to reach out to us our email id is uh, thinksomindia at gmail.com we are available on instagram as well or our personal id is uh, shibani.das uh, is my name on uh, instagram you can find danish on at uh, danishathani so uh, you'll have all these links on our hubhopper uh, page and we are looking forward to hearing your feedback uh, if you have any suggestions of what topics you can talk about we would love to hear them as well and with that i hope you enjoy the conversation thanks said that thank you so much for your time and thank you arunathi bhan and can't wait to see you on the next episode bye bye have a good sunday